Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pope Science. This is Super Pope Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, known the world over as Chasing Artwork. I am GMB Kamichak. Don't let all those fancy initials fool you. The first G stands for Gregory. Um, Dan Vetterbunker, our producer extraordinaire, is also here. He has insisted that we sit very close to one another. Not I can, very close. I can I can feel my mirror neurons activating. Oh, that's mm. a good thing. I think. I think I, so. I just think it's it's a better. We have a better episode when we're sitting at the table like this, uh, and as opposed to sitting at the couches. I just feel like we're more. Yeah, focused. and just for the dear listener, uh, normally what we do on this show, we're creative professionals. We're going to talk about either a business aspect of what we do or a creative aspect about what we do, and sometimes. Just to get your heads in the right space, we have a whole bunch of chaise lounges around a fireplace. <laughs> Where's the fireplace? And uh, and we have long, elaborate microphone setups at those chaise lounges by the fireplaces. We each have our own fireplace, and then, but but what Dan is saying is that we don't connect as well. I just think it's a, it works better. And as I look into your soulful eyes. <laughs> I can't help but think that that's true. It's also because it's also so you don't handle the microphone as much. Okay, so dear listener, <laughs> I will say that despite all of my eloquent uh, protestations, really it started with if I we sit at the table, Gregory, and I put your microphone in the stand, you'll stop messing up my recording equipment. <laughs> so here that's we okay. are. All right, John, uh, Justin, I almost called you Jonathan. Jonathan, the ghost of Jonathan Ball is here in the studio with us. Always. Yeah, it's true. A lingering miasma, a thin <laughs> film of ectoplasm. I think you would take you that can, as a compliment. Yeah, he probably would. Uh, you can check out his work at his own podcast, Writing the Wrong Way. Um, he said a great episode where he answered listeners' questions. Mm-hmm. Oh, should we do that? We've done that. I know. We, we have, should. but it's been a while, actually. It has been a while. That was episode 100. Or yeah. It was. Oh, yeah. that's Crap. right. And we're like over 300 now. Are we? I think oh, my so. goodness. Okay, so we should definitely stop being such self-absorbed a-holes and reach out to listeners for their questions. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Okay, how do people do that these days now that social media is a garbage fire? It, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just talking to my friend at work about this. And, yeah, social media seems to be a bit, like, dead. Is yeah. that the right word? It's like nobody really knows what's going on with it. It's Nobody's... like a mall that used to be busy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and now like, people are still there. St- their their profiles are still there, but nobody's really saying much. Yeah, and it's mostly signs that of sales that are on. <laughs> it's a mall that used to be busy. That's what social media. That's is. cool. That's good analogy. Comment thread. I don't know if it's actual people or bots. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, yes, that's that, also like, true. I don't. I don't give it as much weight as you used to. But with that being said, I will say that certainly. A Facebook page, which you guys both have, I believe, can serve as a good place for people to go to to ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. You can think of it yeah. as a website. So it's a, you can actually just type in facebook.com slash gmbcomichek. I'm sure that's what it is. I think Something that's like what that. it is, yeah. Or chasing, or chasing our work and find these guys and just comment anywhere on their Facebook page and they'll see it. Ask them a question. I'm pretty sure something. something on my website at gmbcomedic.ca also has a way for you to say. There you go. That's yeah. where I'm most frequently replying at chasingourwork.com. There's a like um, contact me whatever go. form, and it 
shows up directly in my email. And the problem with like Instagram, Facebook, DeviantArt, ArtStation is you I have, have to go there. I go there and I'm, I'm usually going there like on a fig- fairly regular basis, but people tend to want answers like now. And so it popping up in my email is like the best option. Well, you can't, you can't. You would spend all your time on social media if you're sitting there all the time, right? I don't like, want to be that. Yeah, person. no, no. That That's either. what social. But media also, wants. I want to mention while we're on this topic, and before we move on, I want to say that I would love for somebody to leave us a voice message on Anchor. Ooh. So you can do that by clicking in the description below, and there's a link that says "Leave a voice message." And if you click on it, it'll make you download the Anchor app, or actually, I think it's Spotify now. It's Spotify. Is it Spotify now? So it's all sure. Spotify. So you probably already have Spotify, and it'll let let you record a little voice question for us, and then we can take it and we can put it in the show and actually play the person's voice and then respond to it is that what we want Dear it'd be like a call-in radio show okay first time caller long time listener yeah okay dear listener if you record a voice message what i want you to do is i want you to imagine you're trapped in a haunted house while you leave the message <laughs> and then ask your final question before the ghost gets you there we go and it definitely won't be just us two asking ourselves questions in different voices <laughs> Justin, how'd you get so cute? (laughs) Oh, man. Justin, your muscles have grown so large since last I've seen you. That's right. How is it done? Thanks, listener. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we have... What's this podcast about? Yeah, I know. We're supposed (laughs) to talk about either the business side of being a creative or the creative side of being a creative... And we have actually been doing so much of the business side of being creative lately that I, I kind of don't want to talk about that anymore. Yeah. We have a few episodes in the can, so mm. if you're coming off of the last two, they're all about the shows we've been doing, how we've been doing them, where the margins are, what's happening. And I want to talk then maybe about, oh, this is a inspiration and where well, it can Well, you lead. inspired yourself. Right? Here is a, oh, I guess I did. So, <clears throat> come with me, dear listener, on a journey, a journey of jaywalking that leads somewhere special, okay? So, often people talk about how the muse arrives, where the muse comes from, and it can be um, problematically misogynistic, I think, at best, to discuss the muse. When so, you think muse, you usually think a pretty lady? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. So this is a this is a this is like a trigger warning. The following content about a muse will involve a pretty lady. <laughs> right? Can we just frame it like the the movie The Muse by um, Albert Brooks with Sharon Stone? Have you seen that one? Oh no, Sharon no. Stone is literally a muse in that. Literally, <laughs> like, like a, a magical being. I think she is. Yes, oh. and then she inspires him to write whatever so he's writing. So this happened to Justin and I both together. This is why I know it's real. Why it really happened. So we were. Uh, in Ottawa, and we, Justin, being the conscientious individual that he is, checks his Uber, notices the street, sees the direction the car is coming, and says, oh, if we cross these, these six, four or six lanes, six lanes of traffic here yeah. to the bottom side of the hill by the bridge, it'll be better for that guy. He doesn't have to do a big U-turn and like trying to find us. We were Let's right by Ottawa's main um, football stadium. So right. it was a very high traffic area meant to facilitate a football game. Yeah, and I know what you're talking about. When you get Uber or a cab or whatever, and you can see on the map how they have to get to you. Yeah. You realize, oh, crap, this guy's got to do a big loop around yeah. and stuff where I can just so, walk over there and make it simpler. So for Justin, him. being the, the kind-hearted soul he is, says, listen, if we cross the street here, it'll save him this long, convoluted way of trying to get to us. So... 
we do. And there's a mo there's a window, like in Frogger, where you can see clear to the other end of the screen. And if you, it's just like, ah, and you just go now, and it's straight. We had that moment. So of course it was preordained. We must get our Uber and save the Uber driver the hassle. How'd you find me anyway? My mom, cool lady, knows how to bake. No sooner have we than have we crossed the street than the Uber driver has not followed the route that the app said he was going to. He clearly is a local and has gone a different way and appears on the other side of no, the no, street. No, no, no. He went past us and had you turned to where he saw that we were on his app. What? He saw us on the other side on the <laughs> app. Oh, and man. so being the kind-hearted soul that he is. He had gone through the effort to get to us. Anyway, now we're separated by a river of traffic. It's crossing good intentions, yeah. right? Crossing. <laughs> both yeah. are trying to do the right yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like we're both <laughs> trying to do the right thing. All parties involved are trying to do the right thing. And maybe that's why, that's why inspiration arrived. Then, in the busiest traffic I had yet seen in Ottawa, at the bottom of this very steep hill, the top of the hill is the top of the bridge. The bottom of the hill is where we are standing, and there's a light there. The light has changed, and traffic is flowing. And at the top of the hill, I almost want to say, like... The sun the, was rising the around... The beams of the sun <laughs> were rising behind this person. This absolute legend of a woman comes cresting over the rise on a longboard. Just a vision in all respects. And is cruising with such grace and effortlessness down the hill. But we're now 40 kilometers an hour. Maybe faster. As, wow. But Just, as casual as can be. Like you've never seen such speed and grace combined together as this person is. And we're in the way now. So we back, we back up out of the way. And she just goes whoosh past us. And I want to feel like leaves were also following in behind her. Like it was. And she turns back to both of us with a wry smile and tips the coffee she's also carrying and drinking from as if she's not traveling at 40 kilometers an hour down a hill on a longboard in traffic. Cruises through the light, tips her hats because we got out of her way, right? And both Justin and I were just like, was that real? <laughs> you saw that too. You saw That's that like something too? right out of a movie or yeah. something. You saw that too? Yeah. So then we clumsily jaywalk back in this you know, caught in the halo of this moment. And we're both like, our hearts are beating a little faster and we're, it must be the traffic we had to get around. And when we get to the Uber driver, we say, like, you know, we explain to him like that we J-rocked and, and, and he saw her too. He noticed her. He's like, oh yeah, I saw you guys. And then I saw that person go by. And so we knew it was real. It really did <laughs> happen. But... This idea of the muse arriving, I have not been able to get this image out of my head since that moment. And I don't know if it's just a combination between it was unexpected, we were on a different path, and so there's something else crossed our path. If, you hadn't, if that hadn't occurred to you, then you wouldn't have even been standing there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. right? All of those things happened. Stars aligned. The stars aligned. And, and like I want to underline to the listener, it's not like pure titillation here. It's not like, oh... She was good looking and therefore it's like all these things together that I really believe that like an actual muse <laughs> rode by the way that Sappho describes it happening. You know, it's about like, her confidence. It was the it was the effortlessness. And like this is I'm talking about like no helmet, no safety pads, 
a considerable amount of danger. Like I and was, a hot beverage and a hot beverage. Death. Cool I would never cucumber. allow my children. She probably to does it every day. Like, that's yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Eh? It's like so right? comfortable. So yeah. It's crazy to me. I see people on longboards, and I, I yeah. worry for their lives sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but they, they seem very comfortable with it. But normally when I see a person like that, I do, as a father, I worry for them. Yeah. I felt... Cause, not because of them, because of the other drivers and stuff, really. It's like... I felt the bubble of her confidence pass over us and leave some behind. Like, that's <laughs> okay. how I felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. That is this That is this moment. So, um, what do you do when those moments arrive, when you have, like... For me, I'll take those elements and I scrawl them down. I'll draw a few pictures and I'll try to be like, okay, what is this that I can put into a character? Right? It's pretty rare when it's like, I got to immortalize this person in fiction. It's like, that's the moment I had. And it doesn't mean that it'll be a one-to-one. No. Right? So I mean, you don't know anything about this person. That's right. And it won't be a one-to-one. Like, I'm not going to have a long border in my next story. But the piece that I can't quite figure out and so i want to explore imaginatively is that grace and confidence that was infectious right that's the piece of that character that's going to come along on some journey i don't know where i don't know how but that's part of me that's like in the core memories now yeah it's like confidence in something that is perceived as being difficult or dangerous um or it's confidence in the face of danger i guess you could say uh, it's the slow walk away from an explosion. Yeah, yeah. This is like I'm trying to think of there are other al- um, analogies we'm sure you can think of in in movies where people are just like. Just once, I'd like to see a movie where the slow walk away from the explosion actually has did, them ripped apart by shrapnel. They did that in um, the new guys. Will Ferrell. There was something. And, oh yeah, that's um, right. They like Mark get, Wahlberg. Yeah, they get knocked over. Yeah, they oh, get the knocked over the glass, and they yeah. can't hear and they're in pain and. Okay, yeah, well, that's all the things you expect to happen, but yeah. never actually. The happened. other guys, the other, the other guys. guys. Right. That movie was funny. Oh, that's what? when The Rock and Sam, Sam Jackson jump off the. Spoiler yeah. alert! And they die. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Overconfidence. Too much confidence. Too much confidence. But here's the thing. So, you guys, here's what I would like to see. And have you guys like tried sketching her or anything like that, or or, or tried to recreate? Only this like moment? in uh, only in like little thumbnail drawings. <laughs> like only in in uh, trying to capture the body language. Like there was, for example. Uh, in art, they talk about the S-curve, right? Yeah. The S-curve humans find um, beautiful to look at, mm-hmm. right? In architecture, in composition, the S-curve. And it was like two S-curves on top of each other, a small one and a large one, as she balanced out against the, her own momentum. I tried to like capture that nowhere near it. And it's like one of those things where the experience now is so... It gets built up as being too important that you to feel like you can't make it. So for me, there's a usually a gap in I've been inspired and I want it to be just like I imagine. And then as I labor and labor and labor and labor, it's as close as I can get it. I'll have to accept. Sure. Right. That that's as close as I can get to the fire and I'll not be able to get closer. Well, I mean, I think you're just trying to approximate something from what you've felt at the moment. Yeah. Right. You're trying to trying to convey that feeling that you guys had. Uh, but I'd be curious to see, like, if you guys both took a vision of this person as you both experienced her and then went on your own ways and tried to come up with a backstory. Should we each make an art print by this time, by next <laughs> Ottawa? <laughs> and have, like, two different styles of the same Yeah, let's image? each do That's a print of that no, person. No, not by. a print, a sticker. A sticker? Oh, she would... And we'll put it up at that intersection. But, it, but she needs to represent something. Like, she represents this confidence, this, like, everything's going to be okay. 
Uh, I'm just, hey, I'm just, it's my everyday life. I don't like, know. I'm all over the place. He was like casual dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Kind of like Super Dave Osborne? No. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, Canadians will know Super yeah. Dave Osborne. But he was the, um, the pastiche joke character of Evil Knievel, right. right? He would always fail, and a dummy would get ripped apart on screen. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, but I think that uh, it would be cool to see, like, this person who's, like, obviously commuting in an interesting and different way. What's their life like? Why do they decide to commute this way? Uh, why are they so confident? Where do they get their coffee from? There's a lot I, of stuff you could yeah. talk, talk about there. And like, if she wasn't carrying a coffee cup, I would say she works at the coolest coffee store on that street, oh, okay. wherever it is. Yeah, but no, she left from one yeah. to go there. Oh, we invoked this ghost. <laughs> How do we do that? Make a ghost noise. Make a ghost noise. <laughs> oh, That's the ghost of Jonathan Ball from Writing the Wrong Way has arrived at the studio, unannounced, and with no care for the flashing on-air light outside the studio. We don't have one of those. I Listen, keep putting that in the requisition. It's it's right outside past the two stone lions this, we have on the outside okay. of the... Is that beside the fireplaces you were talking about earlier? No, well, you turn left around the fireplace room. Okay. Right? <laughs> past the sauna. Right. All right. I just want people to have a really clear picture of what it's like at the studio. I would like. A, I wouldn't sure, mind an electric fireplace in this studio. Nice in the winter time. For yeah. Sure. Right. Should we go buy one of those? Yeah, I was probably gonna. Probably gonna go back later. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't want to seem uncool and get one right away. You know, the often misquoted idea from Einstein is that imagination is more important than knowledge. I'm sure you need experience plus imagination is more important than knowledge. Um, is sort of the context of his full idea there. Um, and inspiration, though, I think is that call to explore a new facet of your creative process. So we received that call, I think, and so I'm going to try and answer it in a small way and put that casual confidence in a character somewhere cool. along the way. Don't know how that is. You've been involved in a very long-form project. How do you keep or sustain that interest and momentum when the actual structure is already set, the plot is already set, you've got the script basically set? Not, well, you keep saying it's set, but it's all still constantly evolving and rewriting and iteration after iteration after iteration. So what it is now compared to like it's beginning, like it's gone through so many, so many little versions of itself. It's still, it's still a moving thing. What's the name of that fluid that uh, when it's under pressure, it's solid. Pharaoh. No, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Now, if we had now, Dan is behind a, uh, a uh, big bank of computer monitors right now, like all producers would be. There's like 15 monitors, <laughs> right? Just so this many knobs and dials. What are you envisioning here? Right? I Just I want people to get a real sense. Yeah, it's like, like a soundboard. soundboard. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's more, more yeah. accurate. But he can turn up our souls from there. Okay. Um, uh, but I guess the internet's not working, or we could look up what that fluid is called. Jesse, are you there? I don't know what kind of fluid you're talking about. Are you talking about the stuff that my kids make that you, when you press down on it? it That's like, the stuff. Yeah, it's like magic sand kind of thing. Yeah, and when you I, push on it, it's solid, but if you yeah, go slow, it gets all slimy the slow yep. blade penetrates that shield. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's that kind you of make stuff. Make it with cornstarch? That's the stuff. Okay. Um, please leave a voice memo <laughs> <That's right. laughs> about what that's called. But that, <laughs> that state, 
in physics is kind of like what you're describing. Under a certain amount of pressure, like for example, the agent needs to see a script, you can solidify it. But for you, when you need it to be, you just change whatever you want. Well, here's here's the way I'm thinking about it. Is um, I don't know if we talked about it on this podcast or Jonathan might have talked about it on his podcast. Um, but like the the script of the project is is at the state where it's good enough to go and the actors are coming in and they're filling in all those, all the magic that you don't get with the script, right? I.e. my illustrations are starting to fill out those scenes. And I always like, as a graphic novelist, as a somebody who makes story with pictures, I always know the best part of the story is going to come in the actual, once the actual illustration starts. So having all this this writing as a foundation is is great but it's not as exciting as when the actual actors come in i.e the art starts to take oh, interesting. over that parallels a meeting i had this morning um with ariel gordon her and i are working on a prose project illustrated prose project it's an epistolary story set in a uh, future conflict and the letters going back and forth mean that the actual technology doesn't have to be that well defined just how the people are using it in their day-to-day lives and how they talk about it has to be pretty well defined, at least in early draft. But we're now basically finished the content, uh, the prose content, and now the illustrative content has to start to be infused into there. And there's a number of sections that I'm responsible for writing the prose in that I can't do because they, re- they require me to know actually what the technology looks like, what it feels mm. like, how much space it takes up on the you know soldier's body, or how much uh, is lost as a result, like how much humanity is. And so this idea of it being static and fluid, right? When you talked about how the actors have to come in, and so your illustration is that, that's how I feel. That's a, much more eloquently describes the feeling I tried to get across to Ariel this morning, which was, until I do this series of illustrations, I actually can't write what they feel about it because I don't even know really what it is yet. And I need to design it, think about how much it weighs, where it is, what it feel, what its texture is, all of those things. You need to watch that improvisation of the actors during the scene. That's right. right? It's, yeah. And certain actors will talk about that. Like There's certain actors that will not really follow a script. And I, Zach Galifianakis is famous for that. Like You don't give Zach Galifianakis a script because you just, you just need to give him the scene. Get into car. Have start, an argument. Annoy, annoy your co-actor. Yeah. And then, you know, these are the main beats we need, but don't give him lines because that's not what he does. That's not how he operates yeah. the best. And I think, like, as a as an artist, it's the same thing. I don't want it written, my script, to be, like, detailing panel one, you know, lighting coming in from this side, character over here. That Like, that's not going to work for me. Um, I need to improvise what's going to look the best, and then the story will... And in, and in illustration, if you're connecting your prose to an illustration and it's your voice in both instances, you have some room still for the happy accident, mm-hmm. right? If you are just trying to fulfill someone else's wishes, they may see the happy accident as a um, deviation from the script yeah, as opposed to this 
composition is much stronger with this happy accent. But and at some point, it, it, the changes have to stop. Yeah. You have yeah. to like, hey, okay, that's it. We're not going to make any more changes. We're going to go ahead with this version of the script. And I think that's when that's when that pressure comes in, yeah. as you say, the deadline for whatever And that's it is. when it's solid. It's under pressure, yes. so it's and, firm. And, and very difficult to make changes at that point, unless they happen as you're making the whatever the project is, right? They can come up as you're some, some people like improvisation on set and that kind of stuff, so that's <laughs> yeah. the kind of thing that can happen. But for the, other people like to stick to the script and yeah. not change a word. That's I've heard of that happening too. Yeah, and I wonder though, um, they are, I mean, I had the great uh, fortune of spending some time with some very talented actors and actresses uh, working with Red Earth. Mm -hmm. And when they stuck strictly to the script as written, it would free them for the moments mm. around. Oh, interesting. You know, so, and this wasn't everyone's experience, but I saw a few in particular that just in my casual observations, it seemed that coming ultra prepared, that solidness, like under pressure, gave them the ability to take a beat and play a little and, and deviate if necessary. But if the other actor, and theater is different than film. Yes, yeah, true. Right? If the other actor also responds with a, with the right element, then that slight deviation makes the whole thing better. Yeah. But if everyone is following the script and only one person is deviating without a plan, that usually makes it worse. In theater, right. Right. So. So I don't know if Zach Galifianakis is very well liked on his sets. I'd be curious well. to have seen the behind the scenes between him and. Um, Robert Downey Jr. did that movie where they're just in a car yes, together. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I never seems, saw that. Movie. Yeah. No, I it seems like Downey is like tight on script and Galifianakis is just throwing wrenches at him. The well, I'm sure it depends time. on your other actors, right? Like I think most, most notable actors come from like, they have some kind of improv in their background. Yeah. And so when that guy's going totally off script, they can adjust accordingly. You know, they're not going to reply with the rigid script. Yeah. They'll also, whereas in film, it's about coverage, right? And I've been on sets where, Oh, I love that take. Let's do it again with a different energy. Let's do it again with a different energy. Let's do it again with the other camera with a different energy. Mm -hmm. And so now they have choices. It's about options in the editing room. Because whereas theater, the performance is the art. Film, the performance is not the art. The assemblage of the performances becomes the art. Yep. So you're assembling performances in your giant form graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you get to respond to the actor. We almost get the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's right? true. Because we can try a bunch of takes in our head, pick the one we like best, have a happy accident, and then pretend it was the plan all along because <laughs> that's what shows up on the page. Where have you been? Testing the limits of the human spirit. I'd like to climb your hair, test that out. Do you find, like, just thinking of your body of work that you've done for clients, when you really try to adhere to their vision and their direction, does it turn out as good as when they give you a little bit more freedom and you get to do what you feel recently, works the best? Recently with a client, I had shown a bunch of body of work to say, like, here is some of my range, right? Here's a project, here's a project, here's a project. Pick your favorite pages and show them to me, uh, and we'll find... And all the favorite pages they showed to me, I had to like in the meeting and say, hey, just so you know, what all these pages out of these 11 projects that you highlighted as being like this, like this, like this, like this, like this, we love, were the times I deviated from my instructions and followed the oh. accident. 
each Interesting. one. Interesting. They had selected my best work themselves. But that was when that was the, you came that up was with when your own. Yeah. that wasn't in the script. That wasn't in the script. Huh. That wasn't in the script. And so they were like, "Well, can you just do that?" And I was like, "Well, <laughs> can you go off script?" You right? don't know when that muse is going to come down what, the hill. Exactly yeah. what I was like leading towards. Right? You just can't see it coming. And so then when they were comparing, well, this isn't like that. I was like, yeah, that's right, because you told me I couldn't make any changes. Right? They were like, there was an underlying tone of disappointment in some of the work I was turning in, but also the project management was very specific. You must do this. You must do this. They must be, quote, unquote, standing over here. They must, you know, the coffee cup has to be here. The light ray has to be there. Yeah. Well, okay, if, if I'm going to do it your way, great, I'll do it. But you won't get any of that other stuff. There's no playtime. I can't find, there's no way to stumble across the muse. I wasn't allowed to jaywalk, right. do what I wasn't supposed to do, and then the muse doesn't show up. I thought of another way you guys could use this uh, this event, this muse event, in something, and maybe this will turn up in something else. But I, I often will take like funny scenes or funny things that happen in my life that I just observe and just kind of st store them away to maybe use in something at some point. Like one time, I was waiting for the bus and I saw these two little kids. They were across the street waiting for the school bus. This was right in the morning as they were waiting, and they were probably like grade one, grade two, and they were swearing up a storm. <laughs> they were Fuck shit. And they're just like they had just discovered how to swear, like and just oh, experimenting and they were just like with the all, everything, and the, all kinds of words. <laughs> I'm like, that is hilarious, and I'm going to use that somewhere because I want to like just. There's going to be some kind of scene where you want to do this. So I think that this scene of, of this this woman going by on her longboard could be just a cool like random thing to happen in the middle of a story. You have these two characters. Okay, then you the and I could each have. You could have. We could each have a moment. Where she rides by in the background of each of our next projects. Yeah. <laughs> look or it out could be for like, it. where's Waldo? Where you start spot, look for the, right. the girl on the longboard. Yeah. See, well, I think I'm gonna make her into a pin. <laughs> oh yeah, an enamel pin. Yeah, that'd be cool. Cool. Laid yeah. back. I see you got some new pins here, Gregory. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, How are? Yeah, I don't think we talked about that on, on the last Ottawa episode podcast. on the Ottawa. Tell us recap. about enamel pins in that adventure. So, for the dear listener who is wondering what we are talking about. <laughs> Um, I primarily write and illustrate books and comics. I take my favorite pages, I turn them into art prints. Right, so you didn't want to get into the business. And that side of it, um, in the show life, enamel pins are definitely a part of show life. People have them, want them, need them. As a child of the 80s, I find it amazing that a thing I was into when I was young in the 80s is back full force, and enamel pins are those things. Justin has been the point of the spear in experimenting on it's a number a medium. of... It's a medium. It's a new medium to play with. Yeah. And when we talk about mediums, we like we have books as a medium, posters, Absolutely. stickers. It's not up to us to decide. Medium. Is that because people? of the physical nature and the tax texture of it and yes. stuff like that? Is that what you're thinking and about? And the, the limitations of the printing technology, it's almost oh. like you have to basically construct a clean... L like something between a logo and a simplistic illustration. You can't just port something you drew into a pin. It needs to be distilled down into something that the factory can make into this mold and fill with ink. And so there's like these constraints that make you work in a certain way. And, and it's and kind of fun. Originally I was resisting, but the more I learned about the constraints, I mean, we did a enamel pin for the super pulp science. You know, we've had an enamel pin in the studio for a long time. Then Justin experimented with uh, doing his logo as one and then doing artwork as some and watching uh, original art kind of through this lens of limitations. 
become this other medium. And I was intent on the idea that I had already done that work. I have a bunch of kind of like sigil, sigil, depending on your pronunciation, where you're in the world, um, symbol, logo, label, work associated to a bunch of different stuff, which corresponds here. So I have a, a pin that is protection from danger. I have a pin that is protection from monsters, a pin that is protection from robots, and one that is protection from evil. And they are all iconographic images from different bodies of work of mine that already existed, but they also meant their own things separate from those. And so I did a print series of those four things. Uh, you can check them out on my website, I guess, if you want, at uh, gmbcomicheck.ca. There's a little thing there for pins. They're, um, they have been a very interesting alchemy of what the meaning of the image is versus how I use it in a different story. So uh, recently at, at the Ottawa show, people were like, ooh, I like these pins. They're buying the pins, and then they recognized after, hey, this image is the same as the image on the cover of that book. What's this book about? I was like, oh, well, this image, protection from danger, this symbol of the skull with the heart in its mouth, in my body of work, I use as a stand-in for the concept of danger. The and thing you love is in threat. That's danger. And so that appears in all the work related to Midnight City, right? And those characters, they snatch the heart from the jaws of danger. Yeah. Right? That's their role. And I think that's going to be our unfair advantage with pins. What I'm most excited about is like making a, a sh little Dragon Nanny series of pins that you can get the book and get get the series of pins or like they op they are independent of each other and can and can be their own thing. And with my next book as well, like having a book launch, having some posters to go with it and having a print ser or a pin series that also goes with it like those things in conjunction, like there's very few other artists or companies that do that kind of thing. And we're in this unique position where we can do that mm -hmm. all. So I think that's where the strength, the unfair advantage is going to come. I in. also got into the idea of, like it says on the, on the pin back or there on the card, it says, you know, this is protection from danger. Use it for yourself or give it to a friend. Like what it's for. Like people pick up a pin and they might say, what's this for? Yeah. And it's a tangible talisman then. That if you think your friend needs protection from danger, you can go to them and give it to them and say, like, you know, I love you, man. I hope you stay safe. Here, right? I know you have a robot problem. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Right? We all have algorithmic <laughs> problems in our lives, right? <laughs> that's right? And so, and they all correspond to different themes and ideas in the work that I'm doing. So, I'm been bit by the bug. I have at <laughs> least. Uh, Eight more that I want to do. But, but it we'll certainly is a trend, and you guys are right. I've, I've uh, started collecting them on my bag, and I've noticed my, my kids are doing that as well. They started yeah. collecting them on their bags as well. So I think it's just a thing that people are – it's another way yeah. for people to express their fandom yeah, about something. Yeah, it's been something. around, like, since forever, and I think, yeah. like, most things, it just kind of, like, ebbs and flows as popularity. And I'll say that the thing that really cemented it, because I was not 100% sure, the thing that cemented it for me was my son saw that I had done them. They arrived. I took them out of the thing. And he immediately ran to get his denim vest that has pins, a lot of pins from Chasing Orc on it. And was like, Dad, can I have one of each of them for my vest? And I was like, oh, well, this is why I did it. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares about the rest of you? Like, this is what I want. Yeah. And then I also went through the idea of, like, protection from danger, protection yeah. from, you know, like, I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, this is my way of saying to you, 
I want you to have all the protection in the world, right? It was silly because oh, it's just nice. a product. It's just a, you know, a way of weaponizing our nostalgia. But, uh, <laughs> right? Isn't that what you do? I guess yeah. I do, yeah, a yeah. little bit. When are you going to take it? Sometimes I don't. If I like a moment, I mean me, personally, I don't like to have the distraction of the camera. All right, let's start this off. This is Super Pulp Science, where genre gets made. I am not Gregory Kamichuk, but I am joined by his long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, known the world over as Chasing Artwork. And I'm Darcy. This on-the-road bonus podcast is brought to you by Iceland, where we currently on a ro- are on a road trip purely to make Gregory jealous. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we listened to the podcast earlier, and um, I have some speaking notes, and Justin's going to talk about Fan Expo in Toronto. Uh, so Lyndon made a comment that Thursday and Friday... They were not looking good for them, and Saturday was his best single convention day. Um, what are your comments towards that, Justin? It was also us, our best convention day of all time. On Saturday or Saturday. the whole thing? Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Excellent. Um, all right, so a couple of questions. How long have you been going to Fan Expo Toronto? You have to make it more of a conversation. You can't oh, just rattle off. But I'm interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> um, since 2011, I think, I've been going. How long have you been coming? Since this is your third Ooh, year? This is my fourth year. Fourth year? Fourth year. Yeah. How has it changed since you started coming? I think it's gotten busier. It's gotten busier? Yeah. Actually, one thing we did notice is... So, typically... If you get, uh, there's the Artist Alley tables, which is rows and rows of, and then if you're willing to spend a bit more money, you can get a premium Artist Alley table, which is an end cap. So that's at the end of the rows. And so the benefits to that is you have access to both sides of the rows on your side, and then in front of you is a bigger aisle where like the main traffic is flowing to get to the other smaller aisles. So you have two normal aisles on your side, and you have the really big aisle in front. And last year, they tried to cram another couple of tables into the artist alley, which meant that they lost entrances and exits for the artists. So it was really hard for artists in the middle to get out of their booths into the the hallways. It was actually kind of dangerous. And so this year, to fix that, they made the the side like the aisle in front of the premium artist alley half as wide as it usually is. So now the aisles down the normal aisles are the same width as the aisle in front of our premium booths. So we all have tiny aisles now, which means it's safer for people, but we have the same kind of crowded, the, like the main circuit is just as crowded as like the, the artist alley aisles. And I thought that was kind of like, you know, part of what you're paying for with that premium cap is access to this bigger crowd. And now the big crowd can't fit in that aisle anymore because they've shrunk it. And so I didn't know how I felt about that. We got more of the meat wall than we're used to seeing in front of us. The meat wall? The meat wall. <laughs> okay. We call it the meat wall. Yeah. All right. I don't think it hurt us, though. 
No, it was our uh, Fan Expo 2023. It turned out to be my best Canadian show ever. Nice. Yeah. I need my speaking points. Um, Did you notice anything different about the way the convention was set up, organized, arranged? They tried to make us tap our badges. Yeah, it didn't do anything. Of like the, you know, the 20 times that we, both Darcy and I, had to like enter and exit the building, we both got tapped once on our badge. So I'm not sure what their plan was there, but they clearly didn't follow through on it. I think they were just checking to see if it was a legit badge and not an in and out. Is it just to deter scalpers more so than anything else? Because I'm sure like they paid a lot of money to put little chips in everybody's badges not to do anything with them. Um, what was your top seller? What did we sell the most of? We, well, okay, so we brought a pal this year, which meant we were able to bring more books than I've ever been able to bring to an away show. And so we had, our art books were probably one of our top sellers, which is a collection of all the artwork together with tutorials and step-by-steps. And so Dragon Nanny did okay, um, but like Lyndon and Steven said, um, original books weren't original art and original books weren't the top sellers at the Toronto show but for example like I've got the Dozy Diner and uh, my Muse original series of paintings those didn't sell well in Toronto but at other shows like at San Diego those did really really well yeah. my original stuff sold more at San Diego than Toronto <coughs> excuse me so some shows are just more geared towards that kind of stuff than others um, but at this show my art books kind of with a collection of all the artwork together did really well and then I would say my my find it sheet prints which are bigger posters that have so many things going on they come with an accompanying eight and a half by eleven can you find sheet scavenger hunt game those sold like crazy anything sell out I don't think anything sold out because of the palette because we have the palette yeah we had enough for this show and the palette goes to Edmonton after this so enough for Edmonton as well which is also a really good show um, I know it's stressful for Stephen and Lyndon to be going to that one but for next year you should definitely check it out it's uh, it's a good one and actually I'm kind of I'm missing we usually do two big road trips a year with a bunch of artists and we all stay together and like um, split costs and, and it's a good road trip and that usually inclu- includes Calgary and Saskatoon together and then the other one is usually Edmonton and Regina and the reason we're not doing it this year is uh, there's the Prairie Comics Festival that is determined to always happen the exact same weekend as Regina even when it was back in May they decided they found the weekend again when they moved it to September and had it that same weekend again so none of us can go to Regina we're going to Prairie Comics you should talk to that organizer so Sam yeah if you're listening <laughs> don't don't have it the same time as Regina I know you I think you guys like booked it first so really it's Regina's fault but I still don't like having to be torn between those two shows yeah. so do you want to give Gregory the Coles notes on the palette situation or is this a, to be continued on a future podcast I'm sure topic? we'll talk about it as well but um, basically, for those of you who don't know, there's usually the way you get to a convention is you book your table, 
Justin's and driving and he's going over the line for that beep. <laughs> it's a really skinny highway in Iceland. Um, you book your table, you show up with suitcases, you set stuff up, you sell, you go home. In Toronto, because it's such a massive show and we've been going for a while, I, I've got like a, a fairly, I've got like a legacy audience there has been buying my stuff for a long time. So I was running into the problem of, you know, with bringing 300 pounds between all the people we brought um, on an airplane, we still completely sold out of a lot of things. So we knew we could be doing better at that show, but we were physically limited by what we could bring to it. And so the options are bring more people, but then, you know, you're paying more hotel rooms, you're feeding more people, you have to pay these people for your time. That adds up. You could ship everything ahead, but then you're shipping them like a little bit at a time. Some things might not show up. And then if you don't sell, you still have a ton of stuff that you shipped. How do you get that out of the convention center? How are you getting that home? Um, so then the other option is um, conventions will accept pallets. And so it's a, you get a wooden pallet, you fill it with stuff, you wrap it with cellophane, like um, this clear like saran wrap type stuff. And a forklift puts it on a truck and then it gets to the convention center. <coughs> Excuse me. And then another forklift takes it and puts it, plops it in front of your booth. And it's expensive to do this, um, but we did it this year and it worked amazing. So you, we, like 15 days before the show, we dropped off a pallet in Winnipeg with all our stuff. We put an Apple AirTag on it so we knew exactly where it was at all times. So it was kind of fun to watch it go across Canada. And then when I got to Toronto, it was waiting for me at my booth and I had more inventory than I could have brought with five different people on planes. It was incredible. Perhaps I can contact you, possibly through my poetry falcon. Poetry falcon, I like that. And so I think the, the reason why this was the best Canadian show I've ever had is because I, I had enough inventory to actually make that happen. We didn't really sell out of anything. We didn't really sell out of anything, yeah, we had Leftovers of it, which was the plan. I brought enough stuff for a great Toronto show and hopefully a busy Edmonton show. Um, we still sold out some bigger stuff and we took, um, but then we would just take orders and get shipping info so I can just ship them when I get home. For campuses. For campuses, yeah. So I think that's a good tip for anybody who's maybe brings bigger campuses or, or more like limited type items to a show on your square transactions you can add notes to purchases so if I sold out of a big canvas and somebody came back and they really wanted that big canvas we would do the square transaction and add a note with their shipping address on it and then let them know that it's going to take a couple more weeks to get to them but they can still buy that item that they missed at the show and I don't have to miss out on that sale so everybody wins and we've been doing that since like the last year and like every big show, I probably do two to five big purchases like that. So I think it's uh, a good move. And I think I, I think we picked that up from Claire Marshall did that one year when she went to Ottawa and none of her books arrived in time. And she just took orders right at the show. I think that's <coughs> almost, I think that's almost 
better than directing people to your website because yeah. it forces them to pay for it <laughs> as an impulse right then and there and they don't have time to keep looking elsewhere to spend their money before they go back home. And they like they gave their money straight to you. Right. They're not like giving it to a website which is a little colder, you know, it's a little it's a little more personal right. if you're taking that online order face to face. So how are we going to top it next year? Yeah, jeez. What's our, what are the things that we want to do better? There's a lot of, uh, a lot of loud talk in that other podcast about. We need a fifth table to yeah, make sure we beat the other guys. These guys coming together and having a better table than us. I don't know. I don't know. It was a pretty good table this year. <laughs> we, uh, the other thing we did this year, because I had the pallet, I was able to bring two light up pillars. So our booth was the only booth in Artist Alley that had a real professional light display and not just a bunch of USB lights facing the booth. Um, so I think that was a huge... made us look very professional. Yeah. Um, we got a new backdrop that looked very, very nice. Um, I was really happy with that. Yeah, talk about that. What's, uh, what made it different? Um, so in the past, I've been using... Uh, vinyl, trade show vinyls, which are, it's kind of like almost somewhere between plastic and cloth. It's, uh, it's, it's a big vinyl banner and they look really nice and they're fairly durable, um, but they're quite heavy. And so I'd have to bring nine of these, nine or 10 of these to a show to make up my full backdrop. And those nine or 10 vinyls end up weighing probably close to 40 pounds of, of material like they're so a suitcase like almost a suitcase worth of of your backdrop maybe not that heavy but they're still significant and so this year I've been playing around with this idea for, for a while and finally pulled the trigger on it my backdrops are now dye sublimation printed which is just a fancy word for printed on cloth and it's a it's a process they use for um, like clothing and um what else do they use? Flags, stuff like that. The the ink is dyed right into the, the fabric and then infused in in a way that we can uh, wash these and dry them and like the color's not going anywhere. And so instead of weighing close to 40 pounds worth of backdrop, we now have seven pounds of cloth that takes up like a, Quarter a, of a fifth of the room. Yeah, you can carry it on your backpack, in your backpack. And the colors are really, really vibrant too. So I was really excited about those. And um, we had like probably a dozen people want to buy it. Yes, a lot of people wanting to buy them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Strange, but. Um, yeah. So good luck, you three together <laughs> trying to beat us. But you got a, you got a, it's a tall order. Yeah. Bring it on. Uh, one of the other things that came up when we were listening to Stephen and Lyndon, they really expressed a panic on Thursday and Friday. So what advice would you give them on how to handle that? What have you learned over the years <laughs> to make yourself not panic on Thursday and Friday when things are a little slower? Well, we've like had this actually in recent memory. We went to a really slow show in San Francisco late last year. Yeah. And we, the show never did pick up. It didn't pick up for us. That feeling that you guys were feeling Thursday, Friday, it never went away because the entire show was abysmal. terrible. Abysmal, yeah. Um, how to negate... 
I like not putting all your bags in the same basket. And I think you guys are doing that. Like having multiple shows a year. I think that's like the like the internal conversation that I kept having was, okay, this show is terrible, but I had a really good Toronto. I had a really good Calgary. I had a really good Winnipeg. It doesn't it doesn't hurt me financially and personally quite so much. This show is terrible because I've had so many other good shows. Um, and I think you guys were kind of doing that to yourselves as well. And I think that'll get better with time because you'll have more shows under your belt and maybe add more shows to your repertoire. Um, the other thing that I, I always am trying to tell more people to do and that I really like doing is I don't micromanage my sales until the end of the show. Like I don't do, I stop doing a daily count because I found I would, you know, count my Thursday and then immediately compare it to last year's Thursday. And if it was down, I would go into Friday in a sour mood. And I notice that still a lot of friends, when I ask how the show is going, their first response is, well, it's worse than last year. And it's, you know, it's only the first, it's the second day of the show. Or even some people know from hour to hour, like usually by lunch on the Thursday, we're like $400 more than this. So, I mean, this is going to be a slower year. And that just seems like you're setting yourself up to be, I don't know, easily disappointed or a little more susceptible to... Panic. Panic, yeah. I don't Do know, you so feel like it gives them more drive, though, to try harder to make a sale? I usually don't see that part. I only no. see the it's not as good as it used to be side of it, which I don't want to have that yeah. and I've, I avoid it because I don't I don't know until the show is completely over and then it's it's too late to really you know if we feel like we're doing well then we're in a good mood and we're happy yeah uh, so what's next for you what's your next show <laughs> so Iceland's amazing oh yeah Iceland's yeah. great we're yeah. we're on the route one right now on the way to Hofen we just came from a ice cave tour, which was amazing. Did an ice cave tour. Um, on the way home, I meet up with Gregory in Ottawa, and we go to Ottawa. And then shortly after that, I go to Edmonton, which the, my palate is waiting for me there. So there is zero stress and planning that needs to go into that show, which is amazing. You're only uh, home for like three days. I know. You're not happy with it. <laughs> Um, and then after that, I have a little bit of a break, and then it's the New York Comic Con, which I managed to squeeze my way in this year. And then we have Winnipeg to cap off the year, the local show to end things off with, which, uh, yeah, always exciting. Excellent. So what Justin forgot to mention is we fly back from Reykjavik into Montreal. I go home on another plane, and he jumps on the train to I Ottawa. I miss my flight. I intentionally am going to miss my connecting flight. We're going to see how that goes. get on a train. <laughs> you don't get kicked off the plane or something. I don't think I will. I think it's fine. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's... Is, is that all you... Yeah? That's all we got? Okay. Unless you have more. No. I, uh... Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about things further on, on the podcast podcast. Once but you're back. I want... Yeah, it was good to, like, react to their podcast. Cause, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's fresh in our minds. It's different. Yeah. All right. What's what's Gregory's tagline? Join the fight. This has been oh. Super Pulp Science. Uh, oh, what does he say? Join the fight. 
make comics. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun.